when I was a young pastor in Chicago, looked back one Sunday morning and there was a interesting looking couple, tall, very good looking couple came in and sat back in the corner over here. And as the service got underway, it, it was fun to watch them. See, you think you're looking at the speaker, but we're actually watching you. You can learn a lot about how people look and what they do and faces you make. It's quite interesting. It could pretty much tell you your story after a while. It was fun watching them because as the service got underway, it was very clear she was enjoying herself greatly. And he would rather be almost anyplace else than in church. And as I was making a number of just incredible points that day, she, she would elbow him and he would pull away. And I was thinking, I, I hope they don't get in a fight back there. It's just fun to watch. Well, as soon as the service was over, I was standing at the door and he figured out where I was. So he took another door out. He clearly did not want to talk to me. She paused to talk. And I said, just give me the brief summary of your story. And uh, she was a divorcee. She was enrolled at university. And she said, my whole life I've made bad decisions. I have just come to faith in Christ, and I want to do it right this time. He's one of my um, professors, lecturers at the uni, and he wanted to go out with me, and I told him, no, I've only made bad decisions in my life. I'm going to do it right this time. Absolutely not. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. So she said, I told him he had to come to church with me, and that was the test case. And I said, would it be okay if I ring him and meet with him? And she said, I was hoping you would ask. Here's his phone number. <laughs> and so, so I rang him, and he clearly did not want to meet with me, but he said, I will meet with you once, and it will be at my office, and here's the time frame. I thought, okay, he's got some control issues, but this will be fun. So we had a meeting, and when we, he said to me, you need to know I am a scientist. I don't believe things by faith. I don't like Christianity. I don't like preachers. I don't like you. Good. I said, but I noticed you came with a very nice-looking tall blonde, and my sense is you like her, and she's not going to like you if you don't like God. So if you're as smart as you think you are, you'll at least give faith a good long look. And that's why I'm here. He said, fine, I will meet with you three times. It will be in my office for this amount of time, and we will do this. But he said, I will tell you what. I will fight you at every turn. So good. Tell you what. I will point you to Jesus at every turn. I stuck out my hand, and I said, may the best man win. <laughs> Guaranteed, I will. <laughs> he said, see, that's what I don't like about preachers. You're arrogant. I said, come on. This is what we don't like about scientists. You don't have any sense of humor. We got started meeting. It went clear past three meetings. Five and a half months later, I remember he asked me to lunch. And he said, you did your job. You pointed me to Jesus well. He said, I probably would have come sooner except for that arrogant thing that you had to win. In my now 35 years of faith, if I've learned anything, there's just a couple of things. That no matter who you are and no matter what you need, the best thing to do is simply to point you to Jesus. It's the best I've got. Done this in 60 countries. I have degrees. I have all sorts of things. But the best wisdom I have is in a very simple, human way is to point you 
to Jesus. Back in February, I was working one morning. I had a meeting with God. Don't mean to be a name dropper. It's just what I was doing. And it became so clear to me that I needed to create a series of messages from the Gospels about how real people interacted with Jesus. This will be fun. I'm always looking for new material. This will be fun. And so I started working on it. A couple weeks later, I mentioned to Diana that I was really having a good time. And she said, where do you think you're going to preach these? And I said, I have no idea. I just know I need to have at least eight ready. Just a few weeks ago, I was contacted by your elders here and asked if I would come for what was the rest of my summer. I I think I have some new material. So this series is going to be called Portraits of Faith, How Real People in Impossible Situations Simply Come to Jesus One More Time. This morning I want to give you one of my favorites. It's a father who finds himself in an impossible situation with his son. And as we go through this passage, you're going to go, this is your favorite one? You're kind of mean. No, it's a tough story, but it has an amazing outcome. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. The unique story. Let's listen. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of a speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Stop for just a moment. This is something you never want to hear Jesus say to you. How long shall I put up with you? He said it here. He said, bring me the boy. So they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it acted like it had the boy's whole life. It immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. When you're in any kind of people-helping position, whether it's you're a therapist, a physician, a counselor, a minister, any sort of people-helper, whenever somebody comes for help, they always have what's called the presenting problem. Presenting problem is very clear here. This one was dramatic. He had a boy that appeared to have epilepsy, we would call it. He had seizures, violent seizures. Didn't just fall to the ground and shake. It was violent. He was mute and later we'll hear probably deaf as well. He would foam at the mouth, gnashing at the teeth, becoming rigid. It appeared so much like he was so gone that he was actually dead. But it didn't just do that to him. It would attempt to throw him into the fire or the water, attempting to kill him, take his very life, not just distract him and make his life difficult, to take his life. Now, this is what you call a very real presenting problem. Over the last 20 years, I've done a number of family life conferences in various places. 
And it's amazing how many families come up and they think they have a significant problem with one of their children. And as they listen to them, you go, seriously? You, you want to trade with this guy? Uh, you, you think you've got troubles. This is a rough one. It's very, very real. And one thing we love about Jesus is these sorts of things didn't throw him. He didn't panic. He didn't go, oh, I've never seen this one before. You're really bad. He was very kind. And even though it was a dreadful situation, he seemed to bring a calmness and know exactly what to do. And he worked people through their very real life issues. Notice what comes up in the text next. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, since he was a lad, father said. It's often thrown him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. At this point, come on, you have to pause and laugh. I, I noticed most of you missed it. This guy's in a helpless, an absolutely helpless and hopeless situation. He has no idea what to do. He knows he's got one shot. His only prayer in this whole world is to go to Jesus. So he goes to Jesus, asks for help, and then he has the audacity to say to Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything. I wish we had first century YouTube. This would have been a great thing to see on YouTube. To see Jesus' response. Because I'm, I'm sure Jesus was going to his disciples. Guy says to me, if I can do anything. If I can do anything. This is like a great Robert De Niro scene. You talking to me? You talking to me? If I, if I can do anything? Dude, you know who you're talking to here? I'm the only prayer you've got. Heaven, earth, hell. Dude, I'm the only one you've got. And you're saying to me, if I can do anything. Well, it's your day, mate. Because I can do something. I can do this. Don't just identify the presenting problems. Identify any possible limitations. And trust me, most all of us have limitations. What we have to figure out, are these real? Have we imposed them? Or are they just phantoms? Here's several of them. The disciples lacked effectiveness. We'll figure out why later. Because one of the things was they just thought they knew what to do. They didn't actually access the power of God. They just went with what they knew to do. There's this impotent kind of faith, impotent kind of prayers that some of us still use. Lord, if you can. And whether you're watching it in YouTube form or you can actually enter into this and go, why would I say to Almighty God, and the Son of God, if you can do this. Why would I ever say that? And then later, this father's also going to say, help my unbelief. Those are all limitations. Note Jesus' response to the father who has just said, if you can do anything. Jesus says it very clearly in verse 23. If you can? What are you talking about? And then he says this incredible thing. Everything is possible to the one who believes. Highlight it, mark it down, remember where it's found. Everything. Everything is possible to the one who believes. Now there is, in academics, what's called 
the study of interpretation. The word is hermeneutics. You don't need to remember it. Don't write it down. But if it's in the field of literature or theology, it's the art of study and understanding, interpretation. And so one of the things we always have to do is go, what does a text say and what doesn't it say? And very often, as readers, we read into it what we wished it said. I want you to note carefully what Jesus says in this passage. Not you get everything what you want. Anything you ask me for, I'll give you in the exact same way you've asked me for it. But he says, with authentic faith, absolutely everything is possible to the one who believes. It's possible. It is possible. Remember that. And so the father's immediate response is, I do believe. Now help me overcome my unbelief. Now, because of what I do, I listen to the very personal stories of several thousand people a year. Far more men than women. So for this morning, I want to talk to the men. Women, you're not going to get off the hook. Just for the next few moments, you're off the hook. Men, let's talk. So many of us, this is our most common response to issues of faith and issues of God. I want to. God help me with my unbelief. The problem is some of us have been at this faith journey for 5 or 10 or 20 years, and we're still stuck at this very elementary stage. Help me in my unbelief. That was appropriate for this father to say that. He was new to this. This was a brand new thing. So it was very appropriate for him to say, I, I, I want to believe. Now help me with my unbelief. But for many of us here, it's time to step up and forget this phrase and say, I do believe. God, let me go take us to the next level. Let me become the kind of man of faith that you dream of me being. I want an authentic faith. I don't want to keep playing with unbelief. I want real, real man, authentic faith. Not this help me in my unbelief. If you have unbelief, go after it. Don't keep it around. Go after it like it matters. Because in impossible situations... It does matter. Go after it. Let's pick up the storyline because it's fun to see what comes next. Beginning in verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running, he rebuked this unclean spirit. And he said, you deaf, mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit acted as it had in the boy's life the entire time. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many of the people said, I think he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood. I want to summarize this entire passage in just the next few moments. It goes like this. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you need. Let me say it again. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you need, Jesus knows. Jesus understands. And Jesus 
delivers. That is the amazing power of God that comes through His Son, Jesus. Now let's talk about what it means when He delivers. In this situation, it was very clear. There was an impossible situation. The boy had to be released of this spirit. Notice he identified the issue or the need. Very often when we know something's wrong, we don't know exactly what it is, or we make an assumption. One of the things in this series of Portraits of Faith we'll discover is that sometimes it looked like it was a physical illness, but it wasn't. Other times it was clearly a spiritual thing. Sometimes it was simply a human thing. One of the great things about Jesus is He knows. He knows what it is. He knows what to do. He discerns what is needed most. I also love that He deals with you personally and respectfully. Notice what the text had just said. When Jesus saw the crowd running to see what was going on, he took care of this quickly. His job is not to create a show or embarrass anybody. His job is to protect human dignity. He doesn't want your, you or your story or your issues to be exposed. He just wants you to be free of them. A few years ago on Christmas morning, I got a phone call. My kids always hate it when I get a phone call on Christmas Day, because they're going, don't people know it's Christmas? You're with your family. They should leave you alone. I said, well, it's not quite that easy, because, you know, people around the world, because of what I do, they call in, and they just want to bring greetings. They said, tell them not to call. Call tomorrow. Very protective of our family time. Well, I looked at the caller ID, and it was from California, and I thought, who loves me in California? Picked up the phone and said, uh, Merry Christmas. Well, it wasn't Merry Christmas on the other end. The guy on the other end said, Martin, I know it's Christmas. I'm so sorry I'm calling you. Your family probably hates me. And I said, they, they do. <laughs> he said, we have an impossible situation. Um, my, my sister has had a number of tough issues in her life, but for some reason they've all come to a head this morning. And she is just gone crazy. She said, I don't even know what to say. She's uncontrolled. Um, can't even describe all that's going on. But he said she's locked herself in one of the rooms, and we're very happy about that because we're afraid she's either going to hurt herself or probably one of us. He said, can I send her to you? That was a long silence, and I said, Dude, she's your sister. Why do you want to send her to me? Like a bad Christmas present? What, what is this? He said, it's hopeless and we don't know what else to do. Can we send her to you? So I said, let me call you back in just a little bit. We made a few arrangements and the next morning they put her on her plane and sent her to New York. Now I had just had some major ankle surgery and they had me on really good painkillers. They, they were the good ones. And I thought, how am I going to do this? Because I'm on these painkillers. Have to be. It, I mean, I just had surgery a few days before, and this thing was pretty dreadful. And I thought, I've got about a two-hour window. Because if, if, uh, if the pain's too great, I can't stay focused. But if, if uh, the pain meds start to wear off, I, I may come up with incredible things, but it's either from the drugs or the pain. So I'm going, I sort of need to be really focused here. I thought the other issue is my offices are building a shutdown over the holidays. I thought I can't take 
this unusual woman in this building alone by myself. So we had to work a few details out. But we went in, had my oldest daughter come. I thought she, she can help, she can pray, she can protect me, she can call 911, she can call help. There's all sorts of things. But here was her story. When she was 15 years old, her and a girlfriend were shopping at a mall. They were abducted. Southern California, they were abducted by a Mexican gang taken out to the desert, gang raped, left naked alongside the road for dead. The other girl did die. This girl crawled back out onto the road. Someone found her. It took the family 36 hours before they were contacted because there was no identification on her. It was a tough story. And now, some nearly 10 years later, she just had dreadful emotional and spiritual issues. Flashbacks, nightmares, you name it. It's a tough story. But it's not an impossible one for Jesus. So I told her we'd get underway. And I said, we've got about a two-hour window. I'm convinced God can do it. We got started and simply made a number of commands about the spiritual realms and realities and they were in complete submission to the name and under the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's simply how you do it. And as soon as we started, she lapsed into an altered state. I wish I would have gotten permission to have a video camera running. This was incredible. You could watch. One of these things would come and take over. And she would thrash back and forth. You could see her just fighting she was making just subtle noises. You could see the intensity in her face. She'd come up to this crescendo and go, ah, come back down. Now, what was interesting for me is in an hour and 35 minutes of running this, I only did about 15 words. It was things like, next, and you go. It was that simple. It was the power of God at work. In an hour and 35 minutes after we started, she blinked her eyes. She looked up at me and she said, I went somewhere, didn't I? I said, you did. I said, some stuff left me, didn't it? It did. She said, how many? I said, how many do you think? I said, it felt like seven. I said, I counted seven. She immediately burst into tears. This took a few minutes to wrap her up. Prayed over her, put her on a plane back to California. Over the next few days, I got numerous phone calls from California from people I've never met. And they said, we don't know what you did. We don't want to know. But we want you to know what an amazingly different person we have in our family now. He understands. He delivers. It's how he works well. Notice how the passage wraps up. Verses 28 and 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive this one out? Jesus replied, This kind come out only by prayer. Now, in some of your Bibles, there will be a little parenthetical thing or a note at the bottom that says some manuscripts will say by prayer and fasting. And we simply, if you do the research on this, you discover that when people were reading this and some were transcribing this. It just didn't make sense to them for Jesus to go, oh yeah, just pray. Yeah, this one only comes out by prayer. As if the disciples didn't know that. You know? It's like, Jesus, can you be a little more thorough here? Uh, we, we know about the prayer thing. And so some well-intentioned person said, well, he probably meant fasting too. Let's, 
Let's include that one. So why doesn't it work? Why didn't it work for the disciples? And sometimes why doesn't it work for us? The disciples ask a really good question. Why couldn't we drive this one out? Well, the issue was, see, the disciples knew how to do this. They'd seen Jesus do it. They'd done it themselves. Read Mark's Gospel. They'd already done this. And in one of these impossible situations, the disciples did what often we do. We simply go with what we know. We go with our own strength. We go with what we think will work. And we simply go, I know how to do this. I've seen this done. If you just do this or this, it'll happen. That's what the disciples did. But in one of those impossible situations, it didn't work for them either. Jesus said, no, this kind only comes, only comes when you really engage in prayer. Because remember, everything is possible to the one who believes. This is what authentic faith is like. I mentioned earlier that I have conversations with several thousand people a year about authentic faith in their life. But on any given week, several times, I will look people in the eye and say, well, you know that's why it's called faith, right? Because, see, we're just used to the word. I I have faith. I, I believe. I'm a person of faith. And we use it without engaging it deeply. Faith is really this kind of active trust that engages well beyond human experience. Don't just go with what you know. Don't just do it in your own strength. The best word I can give you in a 21st century context is the word engagement. The two implications of this. The first one is a young couple in love. Some of you remember it. Some of you are hoping for it. You can picture it, though. These two are so focused on each other, nothing else matters. It's just us. Eye to eye, heart to heart, soul to soul. They're engaged. It's an emotional thing, it's a spiritual thing, it's a physiological thing. They are absolutely engaged. That kind of engagement is what faith is all about. The other implication is we live in a world where there's military engagements all over the place, unfortunately. When you go into battle, you engage the enemy. And you better hope that the person on your right and the person on your left is as engaged as you are because your life depends on them being engaged. You want them, every part of their being, to be focused on their mission, on what's in front of them, and their whole heart has to be in this or someone pays the price. Folks, it's that kind of issue at stake. In impossible situations, this is not some sort of casual faith. This is a kind of active trust that engages every part of one's being to seek the power of God to make the difference in this particular situation. It's an active trust in Him. I had just moved to New York. It was almost 20 years ago. And I heard about a young couple in the community He was an associate pastor at one of the churches. They were planning to go to the mission field. They were hoping for West Africa. But their child had just been born, and he had difficult heart issues. One of the chambers was very much underdeveloped. There were no valves there. This child was just having 
dreadful difficulties. He needed immediate surgery, but there was one problem. He was too weak to go through the surgery. And I heard about this situation. I didn't know this couple. I asked if I could meet with them. And as I met with them, I said, look, you're people of faith. You come from a good church. I'm not here to bring anything. I just want to ask a couple of questions. This feels like an impossible situation to you, doesn't it? And they said, absolutely. We're told he needs surgery, but he's too weak to go through surgery. He won't live if he doesn't get it. He probably won't live through it if he gets it. What do you do? I said, you've had lots of people praying for you, and they tell you that, right? I said, you probably come from a tradition where the elders of the church come, maybe even anoint with oil, right? They said, yep. But does it feel like anybody's really engaged with you, or does it feel like we've done sort of our religious stuff we know, and we're standing on the side, even using phrases like, let's see what happens. It was exactly. People are actually articulating. I want to see what happens. Said, would you be interested in having a group of people come and take several days and fast and pray, stay with you around the clock if need be, and really engage and just ask God, can you give us anything here? Will you let us know? How do we best pray? Let's really engage this thing. He said, I would love that. I said, do you want to pick the people or do you want me to? He goes, you pick them. So I asked seven people to join me. I ask them for three full days and maybe no sleep. So we're going to fast and pray and just ask and seek God. That's what the scriptures tell us to do. We're going to engage in nothing else in intercession for this boy's future and what God has in mind. Well, we got started. They had a little two-year-old girl that somebody else was taking care of. And as we sat and listened and prayed and sought after God, it was about two hours into it, I pointed to one of the older women, and I said to her, you're getting something, what are you getting? And she goes, it's kind of strange. I just keep seeing a picture of this boy as a young man. She goes, I don't know what it means, but I keep seeing it. Well, the mom starts crying, which is what moms do. And she started crying. She goes, I see the same thing, but I thought it was just because I was the mom. Everybody in the circle had seen the same picture. And it seemed like it was a promise from God. The boy's going to live. But okay, what do we do now, though? So we went back to prayer. It's about an hour and a half later of just listening and seeking. I pointed to one of the men and I said, You're getting something. What are you getting? He said, I got a phrase in my head, but I don't know what it means. So what's the phrase? He said, The phrase is, Speak the word. And another man stepped in. He goes, is it word or is it words? And I went, the boy's life's at stake? And you're, you're arguing over one letter, word or words? And they go, no, it makes a difference. Are we supposed to just speak the word of healing over the boy? Or are we supposed to speak the words of God over the boy? Good point. We went back to prayer. It seemed very clear that we were to take our Bibles and just go stand over the crib. An amazing intervention. This boy never woke up for hours and hours and hours. And we started in Matthew, and we read all of the healing passages over the boy, one after the next after the next. It was great fun. Had no idea what the outcomes were going to be. And when we read the final verse, it just was clear to all of us something broke. He wasn't healed, but something broke. So we went and sat back down in the living room, 
And we said, we think our job's done. The parents went, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean your jobs are done? Is he healed or not? No. Do we have the surgery or not? That's a decision you have to make. We have confidence that he will live. We think it's a promise from God. Whether you trust God through this one is your call, or whether you go through the surgery is your call. He's your son. God's entrusted him to you. Well, it was three days later. They went to the children's hospital in Boston, and they had the surgery. Of the six children that week who had that same surgery, by the end of the week, he was the only one of the six who had survived the surgery. I just saw him not long ago. He's 17 now. I was at the family's home, and he came running in. I was talking to the parents. He came running in, asking his parents if it was okay if he went to a movie because he was supposed to take care of a younger sibling. He wanted to blow that off and go to a movie and not be responsible with his family. And uh, mom says, son, come here, come here. You, you remember Dr. Sanders. You remember he's the one. He goes, I know, I know. He's the guy. He, he pulled away from his mom. He says, can I go to the movie? She goes, fine, go. And she, she apologized. She was embarrassed. She apologized. And I said, I was 17 once. I've had two 17-year-old boys. I know what they're like. But as he left, I thought, in four years, I can't wait to see him. He'll graduate from university. I'm going to be there. Because we will see that picture of what we saw when he was hopeless in the crib and see what the power of God did in one young man's life. Let me say it one more time so nobody misses it. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you need, Jesus knows. Jesus understands. And as this passage reminded us, in this situation, Jesus delivers. Pray with me, please. Father, in these impossible situations... Even the best of our faith, the best of our human strength just goes. We don't know what to do. It's, it's why they're called hopeless. It's also interesting that throughout the scriptures, what you bring most in impossible situations is hope. And so this morning, as a group of people, we just want to remind ourselves that you know. And in simply saying, God, you know, it just it includes so many things. And so individually and corporately, we say, God, you know. And not only in some of our individual lives, but together, we have what feels like a potential hopeless situation. And yet we know that you have this amazing, amazing power. And so we seek, we wait, we pray. And over the next number of weeks, we will look at portraits of people much like us 
who've trusted you in those impossible situations and watched what you have done. So, Lord, we come again and say it is such an honor to be able to have this kind of relationship with you. Today, we we love you, and we just want you to know that. And we say thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We look forward to what you're going to do among us. Amen.